Hello and welcome to Panels in Motion, the podcast where we read a comic, watch the movie adaptation, and figure out what went right or what went wrong. So today we're going to be talking about Barbarella. Joining me uh, live through the internet is Andre Heiser. Yo, yo, yo! And Luke Lehner. And my little blanket pillow for it. His little blanket <laughs> pillow for it. This is the first episode that we're recording uh, remotely, so let's do this. Um, Barbarella, the book that we read, was the original uh, one that was released between 1962 and 1964. It was written and illustrated by John claude Forrest. Uh, he was originally a fantasy and sci-fi novel cover artist, um, so we'll get into that in a bit. Uh, the story... The one that we read was released by Humanoids a few years ago, and it was adapted by Kelly Sue DeConnick. Um, if you guys didn't know, Kelly Sue DeConnick is actually a pretty well-known feminist comic book writer. Um, she wrote Bitch Planet, uh, which... Uh, so, Andre, you love sex criminals. Um, yes. She is married to Matt Fraction. And no way! Yeah, oh. so Bitch Planet ended up being sort of a forum for people to talk about feminism, uh, in the same way that Sex Criminals was uh, for just talking about sexuality. I love that. I love that they're, they're a couple. Yeah, so um, so she was the one who adapted the script uh, when they did this new release a few years ago. Uh, so she didn't actually translate it, but she did, I guess, update it a bit. Uh, so she's, what, I guess, what does the that reason, mean, updated? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure, but... I think that she's the reason why we have certain uh, plays on words and why the script reads the way that it does, as opposed to just being more of a straight translation. Gotcha. Gotcha. It does feel really natural when you're reading it. So uh, this story was originally serialized in V magazine. It was a French quarterly magazine. So that means uh, every three months there would be a new eight pages released of the story. Um, in America, it was serialized in the Evergreen Review from 1965 to 1966 in three parts. The Evergreen Review was a countercultural literary magazine, and these people had a pedigree. Like, other writers who were published there were Samuel Beckett, Norman Mailer, Jack Kerouac, Harold Pinter, Edward Albee, Albert Camus, Malcolm X. What? Yeah, this was... What? This was a really, like important magazine and Holy shit yeah so alongside all those people was barbarella <laughs> what <laughs> that makes um, no sense <laughs> so some some cultural background before we start talking about the book this was uh the early 60s very few comics had any sexual content because of the comic code and the wortham trials uh are you guys familiar with what those are yes i am not so basically, this guy, Frederick Wortham, uh, he was convinced that comic books were uh, corrupting the youth. And so he like led a whole anti-comic book movement and created the Comics Code, uh, which was pretty much a comics version of the motion picture production code. Ew. And so, uh, yeah, so in the early 60s, the Comics Code was in full effect nothing like there was no violence no sexual content uh any any villain fun. who showed up in a story had to be in jail by the end of the issue things were that lame bad. and then all of a sudden barbarella comes and she was <laughs> she flies onto the, the scene. scene yeah she brings she all the barriers <laughs> she broke 
every barrier. And uh, <laughs> uh, pun intended. And it was real well reviewed by French literary magazines. It was well reviewed by Newsweek. It was well reviewed by Playboy. Oh, well, of course, Playboy. Uh, but this was a time when Playboy actually ran like literature. <laughs> well, Playboy know? still does. Playboy uh, still. Does. Not that you. I know. Not that I know. I don't read Playboy, but I do know that Playboy still has journalism. So much so that they actually stopped doing porn um, on their magazines. I don't really know how they work as a business, but um, interesting. Okay, that's not that's not new. That that wasn't like a thing back then specifically. Yeah, you can you can see how Barbarella would fit right in with their brand. <laughs> and so yeah. when the book was uh, when Barbarella was collected and released as a single book, it became a bestseller beyond what anybody could have imagined. It was translated into a whole bunch of languages, uh, and that's where we are today. So now we can get into the actual discussion of the book. So <laughs> looking back from 2020. This is, we're talking 52 years later. Things are a little different in our society. And I think that we all had a a bit of a different uh, reaction than people did back then. So uh, to start out, Andre, do you have just some general thoughts? Um... Yeah, so I guess I'm not surprised at what you're saying that Barbarello was um, really popular back then. I could see like something like this being completely like like revolutionary, you know, in that time period. So I can see why it's surprising to to hear that it was in a publication, a peer reviewed publication that Malcolm X and Albert Camus were featured in. But it's it's not surprising that it it like sent shockwaves across like the nation or, or the world even. But with all that said, it's like reading it in today's world. It's kind of, um, it's not really revolutionary anymore, you know? So it's hard to like read it in, with today's context and be like, yeah, this is amazing because it's hard. It's not really that great of a book. And <laughs> it's not a great book. It's not a really good story. The character is all the characters, including Barbarella herself, are rather one dimensional, at least in this first volume. So it's my thoughts were that this is a really great um, wild little adventure. Um, If you're just looking to pass time, it's kind of funny. It's tongue in cheek. I like that about it. Um, But at the end of the day, it's um, it's boring. Like the stories weren't (laughs) compelling. The characters had no growth. Um, there was nothing that made me want to read further. I would say that this is more erotica than sci-fi because it was built that all the tension of the plot was built on when is she going to remove her clothes? Like every five or so pages, her <laughs> clothes rip off or she takes them off or something. And, and it's almost as if the story was structured around when is she going to get naked next? So I can see like the average, like young male audience in the sixties being like, Ooh, like I'm so excited for the next time, next time. And like clockwork, it always appears like clockwork. She's always like naked. Really. If you think about it, it was in a quarterly magazine, you know, every three months you have an eight page story. The eight page story starts out with these sci-fi beats. It continues uh, with like weird stuff happening, then she gets naked, and then there's a conclusion. So, no, you know, exactly. with us reading it now collected, every eight pages, naked. <laughs> no, 100%. And, and, you're, and, you're, and, and, and you make a great point. It's not like they planned it out to be eight, three, eight pages, she gets naked, but it's funny when you put it in a volume form that it works out that way. There was nothing interesting about the plot going on. At many times it was confusing, and it just like, it didn't like, you, it just like threw shit at you that you were like, what? 
you know, there was nothing compelling. So that's why I say I see it more of like a work of erotica in today's world, because I don't it's not because getting naked, like having a character who has sex and gets naked and is a, is a strong woman who is cool with her sexuality. That's expected of the work in today's world. Um, mm-hmm. where at, so because of that, when you build a story around just the fact that like, oh, she likes to have sex, it becomes almost like erotica as opposed to sci-fi that is built around this really cool concept that this really sexual character goes through. It's only about sexual character and her sexuality, you know? Yeah. And really the, the French magazine V it was, uh, they specialized in both fantasy and erotica. That makes sense because yeah. that, that makes total sense because I, I, this is like the perfect male sci-fi fantasy, you know, like that's, that's mm-hmm. what I, how I read it, read it as. And, and, and with that said, um, I, despite that, Barbarella is a cool character. You like her character because she does have agency and she does take herself through her adventures, even though she always ends up finding herself as like kind of like a damsel in distress where she needs someone to save her. In the book itself, she actually navigates through those situations on her own terms. And I really appreciate that. I like that agency that she has that is completely like obliterated for the movie, unfortunately for Jane Fonda. But um, I, I with, But even still... It's hard for me to fully appreciate that, knowing that it's a bunch of guys who wrote this book, you know, mm-hmm. knowing that it almost makes it like this is more like a fantasy. And I almost feel like kind of get slightly creeped out knowing that it's like, oh, I'm just I'm just like listening to some some creeps, like weird sci fi erotic fantasies about this like sexy lady, you know. So there's that element in the back of my head. It's not like in the foreground, but I think about that afterwards. Like I like her character's agency, but it's hard to really appreciate that when I know it's like a bunch of guys in the, in the writer's room. Yeah. So Luke, what do you think? Um, Andre just said so much. Um, I agree with honestly, most that you, most of the things that you said. Um, I think the fact that we did read it in a volume instead of the eight to 10 page, not floppies, but how it would be in, in these quarterly issues did kind of hinder it. Cause like Andre was saying, every four pages she was getting her clothes ripped off for whatever reason um like i didn't there's there's nothing i can say i didn't like anything about this comic at all i can't think of a single thing like usually i'm one to like at least fall back on like on you know the the design or the like the designs of the you know the scenery the characters the you know the it's a it's sci-fi so the the fact that like it what am i trying to say it it had none of the normal pizzazz or uh effort that you would normally see out of a sci-fi novel uh-huh. like there was nothing other nothing otherworldly like the the in in the first uh in the first story with the like basically just stingray that flying stingray that she was on or the sharks with wings in the last one nothing i don't know i have to disagree Mm. i I really have to disagree with that i think that the book is uh very typical of sci-fi of that era um and specifically of sci-fi comics uh so you say like you think of like a certain amount of pizzazz with sci-fi um i don't know to me sci-fi pre like 1970s really, and we'll talk about this later, but pre-2001 A Space Odyssey, um, sci-fi as a whole was just like this. It's like you'd have a bunch of really dense concepts and uh, 
like for instance on one page uh you have this like idea of this labyrinth that all of these uh that this entire society is stuck in and the queen stands in the tower and watches above all of them i think that's a very sci-fi concept it's like they go to this new world where this weird society exists and it sort of holds a mirror up to our society and that's that's i think how a lot of sci-fi approached things back then it was like more yeah. it was like yeah. more pulpy you're saying um yes. it, it, yeah. it wasn't as focused on like world building and shit like that it was just like yeah what's happening now yeah. what one of the one of the main things that bothered me was every you know every eight to ten pages she would suddenly end up in another location and then they would just like oh all of a sudden she pops up from the ground and now she's in a labyrinth and we don't know how she mm-hmm. got to the labyrinth or yep. for instance in the in the first one she crashes her ship into a greenhouse and then there's a war in one <laughs> in one panel she's yeah. fine and then in the next panel she's getting eaten by plants yeah. and the plants are ripping her clothes off but mm-hmm. there's actually no... it was a deflowering bush <laughs> oh i'm sorry <laughs> well okay can i like, just and just like uh, one main thing that was a big issue for me was that there weren't there was a much more of a focus on getting to the ending of the story than actually sort of developing the story yeah. so like mm-hmm. well, for instance she got out of her spaceship and then all of a sudden she's trapped in the you know deflowering flowers so how did she get there in the first like there's no panel of her walking yeah. or falling or when they end up in the in the chasm after you know the sand or ice mm-hmm. falls through and kills everyone except for the two of them yeah i i want to see what happened before that yeah. or you know even at least like a panel of them you know falling mm-hmm. or so it, something would happen and then i would have to go back a page I would well, do that too. Three panels to see mm-hmm. what the fuck was going on. And yeah. it just wasn't explained in the first place. Yeah. The vast majority of comic books actually read exactly like this. Uh, pre, like, de- definitely pre-70s and a lot of them pre-80s. Um, I'd say really Jack Kirby helped push uh, away from that. Jack Kirby being really? the guy who made a lot of the Marvel stuff. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, before him and even most of his contemporaries wrote just like this, uh, well, like wrote and, and true things. Yeah. So with that said, um, understood. And I respect that um, reading that piece of media, knowing that environment at the time. But it's hard as like a modern consumer to look at that and be like, yeah, this is great, you know, because yeah, it's not yeah, totally. in reality. It's not. So so it's like it's. I agree with Luke. I mean, I don't think anything about it was interesting. I don't think that there was any work done to develop anything besides how sexy Barbarella was. I I thought Mm -hmm. there was so much detail and so much emphasis on like her garments and the way that they drew it and the way that they like emphasized it and the way that it, 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 it it took, it, it it ripped off, however. Um, But there was really no character at all anywhere Mm -hmm. to to drive anything forward outside of, outside of that. Yeah. Character and like, Sci-fi concept, I think those are two very different things. Character basically just didn't exist in comics <laughs> at the time. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, I know, but what and I'm then, trying to say is then, I don't give it a pass just because of that. No, I know, I know. But then sci-fi concepts, I think a lot of the time they were introduced. Uh, they were 
And they're the type of thing where the reader just has to take them and think about them on their own. And that is also a fault in the writing, uh, in the sense that the writing should explore them to some extent. Um, but yeah, you, if you're going to go into a comic like this, you, if you're, (laughs) if you're going to enjoy it, you have to take it really with that perspective. And it's, it's hard to, as a modern reader. Yeah. No, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why I said it's a fun little adventure if you're looking to pass time and just like explore something new, but it's not something to like read looking forward to like I'm going to get something out of it because really you're going to get like nothing out of it. <laughs> you might come out with a yeah. little less. No, you 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 get I all I got out of the comic was just so many quotes and so many screenshots <laughs> yeah. that so, I shared to social media. So you found the book funny? That's something. It it was funny as in a no one would ever say this in real life or <laughs> yeah. in any any sort of literary <laughs> aspect. It it was purely I like the fact that you said that it was it came out in this magazine with all these, you know, literary visionaries and, you know, political it just made me shocked because all I can see I saw like the only way I could have seen this someone reading this was if they found it in the woods like a 14 year old <laughs> found it in the woods it was you know the pages were a little sticky but whatever oh and gross. opens up the first page and there's titties so he's gonna hide that underneath his bed because he doesn't have enough money to pay the homeless guy in front of the 7-eleven to get a playboy <laughs> Um, such, such a specific scene that was yeah there was a lot a lot going on there <laughs> I, went, I, went, I went through a thing yeah, I every, went through a thing pretty much every page had no multiple times per page there was just innuendo after innuendo everything was phallic uh like the the spaceship was so phallic yeah, and then there was a point where like something comes out of the sea and tries to like eat it and it looks like a vagina no, <laughs> like it, the guy's was, name is Dildano yeah, <laughs> Dildano. Dildano. It was genuinely funny. Like uh, with that, like the innuendo, it was it was funny, Nick. Like I, I I disagree with you, Luke. I don't think it's funny in the way of like, oh, I found it in the woods and it's like sexy and I, it makes me like chuckle every now and then. It's like I take it as it's genuinely hilarious. Like it, like like the like I, I'm glad you mentioned the phallic spaceship because that was such a funny one and the Dildano, good one. But um, I think about the scene when like she's when she's being chased by the police in in the evil queen society and black witch. It, black queen society and she's with the robot and she's like so uh uh do you got anywhere you could stay and then it's like you flip the page and it's like she's waking up from sex with the robot that like that i was, was dying of that was well, so good no, it was actually here. that was a chapter break andre that was it well, it was perfect yeah. i thought it was hilarious <laughs> i it worked well, great for me like i flipped the page and i just like burst out laughing it was genuinely funny like it, it, it they really did that right like and, and i like that it didn't take itself seriously that's one thing that mm-hmm. i really liked about the book is that it it was very one dimension one dimensional and very flat, but it but it it never tried to be anything other than like something lighthearted and and just playful, you know. And and it did that right. They did that right, and they did the sexy thing right. So so the, they got went out and they achieved what they wanted to do. So so you you got to give that to them, you know. Even as a modern yeah, reader. but here's the thing: Did the author originally intend for it to be funny? I think or they did. did. How did they not? To be yeah. sexy. For sure. How did they not? Did he? he yeah. Are you sure? The spaceship. I, I read, I read interviews have... online, but yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There, there's just then, no way you can't take that like as not fun, like meant on purpose, like the, with with the spaceship looking like a penis. Like that was a dead giveaway. Yeah. The only thing I got out of this was that it was funny, and 
as I was reading, as I was reading the comic, uh, I was sitting next to my girlfriend as she was reading her, like, fancy hardcover book while I was on my phone reading a comic book with boobs. <laughs> Your girlfriend, and, a literal literary, uh, <laughs> professional. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, whenever a line would come up, I would go, ha ha. And then I would read it back to her <laughs> and then she would just laugh and give me a funny look and then go back to reading her book. But yes, lots of quotable lines. Um, Wait, but, so just to be clear, Luke, you're telling me you think it's funny, but you think it's funny in a way that you like watch something that's bad and it's funny. Like you don't think it's funny. Like oh, yeah. it was like actually oh, like yeah. hilarious. So it's like, yes, it's, it's funny. Ironically, it was like so cheeky, though. Everything about it was, it was so, so like it was yeah. so funny. <laughs> it, it was genuinely funny. Like, I'm sorry. I disagree with you, Luke. I, I think it was no, genuinely I, funny. I, I, I read it as haha. This is funny. Who could ever write this? Mm-hmm. So and Luke, I'm, I know I'm that, sticking to that. I know that you have some favorite panels. Do you have them pulled up? I have one. Oh, yes. If you're, yeah. So while you got that up. Oh, oh yes. Uh, at, right after she and the robot have sex, she says, okay, first off, the robot's name is Dick Tor. Um, <laughs> and she says, got to hand it to you, Dick Tor. Your hardware and my software interface perfectly. That and was the he, best. That was my line. You stole it from me. And I, then, I don't have another line. You can read the one after that, that he says back to her. Uh, no, go ahead. Madame is too kind. I do have my shortcomings. There's something a bit mechanical about my technique. <laughs> Good one. I fucking love that. <sighs> and that's it. Can I? Uh, can I? Can I read? Well, go ahead. Luke. I have, I have, one, two, three, four, five, six. I have like twelve, but I'll read two. Okay. My, the one that I like the most is no king. Great. If I can't seduce the king, that blows my plan. My second favorite one is, which I sent to the group chat, am I nuts or is this so-called rebel fondling me? <laughs> that was a good line but too. I love the, that. The, yeah. But that was actually, that was probably the most clever part of this whole volume because the rebel was fondling her to leave a secret note in her breasts. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that because the, like, the story is so forgettable. But yeah, that was, that was so funny. You're right. <laughs> I... Oh, I love it so much. As far as erotica goes, like, I feel like for, you know, like 50 Shades of Grey is for women. I could see this being for, like, uh, young men in the 60s. Very, very appealing. And I I think it does that successfully is what I'm trying to say. Like, I think it successfully builds, like, sexual tension in a way that a lot of media does not. Because it's not just about, like, those sexual moments. Because while you read the book, there isn't really a lot of, like, like hardcore sex going on. You just see suggestive, suggestive things happening, her clothes coming off. And when it actually, um, when it goes, comes down to it, what is actually appealing is the suggestive nature of like the way she communicates, the way she like will like touch something or, or, or so they do that really well. Like it, in a way, only a French person I think can fully execute because, <laughs> <laughs> because it's not, it's not just like, look, sex, look, boobs. It's like, there's actual like buildup towards the sexual tension that I think is palpable. And they do that and really I, well. I think that's a, I think that's a quality of good erotica. Exactly. Exactly. So, so that's why I, 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 I stick by what I said. I don't think it's great sci-fi, but good erotica. 
<laughs> so uh, wife, going back. Uh, okay, to, hey, Karen, I'm talking about <laughs> uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so going back to the uh, idea of feminism. <laughs> uh, so Andre, you t- you said before how you felt like she was just like freewheeling uh, character and she had agency. Um, I want to say to me, it didn't really come off as very progressive and you you did say that but to me it was more like she has agency in the sense that she can have sex for pleasure on her terms she can also weaponize it which i don't know how to feel about that but then at the end of the day it felt like her worth and her freedom were measured by how much she wants to please a man so at 100%. the end of the day yeah, yeah. it wasn't 100%. about her acting on things because she wanted to it was like it was about people saw her differently because she wanted to please a man. Yeah. And I, I, I completely agree with you. It's progressive in the sense that look, she's being sexual and that's cool, but it's not progressive in the sense that like, Oh, she is more valuable than her hot body. Like, and, and mm-hmm. I, I felt like that was missing too. I really felt like that was missing and it was missing even more in the movie. I, I felt like it's, it's progressive in the fact that no, n- nobody else had done it before. Yeah. Not in the fact of it actually being progressive to, yeah. you know, enha- enhance an agenda of, you know, yeah, feminism. It, and stuff it was like a that. stepping stone. It's, it's very much, it was a yeah, it's very much, like yeah. It's something you look at, you go, we got to fix that. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, the only thing that we haven't really talked about yet is the art itself. Um, I think that we all have varying opinions on this. So for me, the art it goes along with like just the idea of the layouts and the story being really dense. I felt like there just wasn't a lot of like fluidity between the panels and even the panels themselves. uh, Sometimes it was hard to tell what was going on. And I just constantly felt like the sci-fi concepts could have been displayed better. Like the idea of the flying, uh, the flying sharks, I thought that was a cool idea, but when you actually see them, it looked kind of lame. Yeah. So it looked really bad. It's, it's the, the paneling and like the art was just like the book content was just like the story, a bunch of crammed shit. Um, mm-hmm. makes no sense, but you're kind of just going with it and going through the motions. That's how I felt. I did love the inking though. Um, the blue and the black and the white. I thought it was cool. Like using blue as midtones. Um, it okay. looked cool, but outside of that, the actual like, out paneling was weak um and there was a lot of details when it didn't need to be and it didn't really give me a sense of place um that i think is mm-hmm. important for a story and it's kind of funny i have a similar point about the movie about sense of place it, i would i would like to see someone remake this in regards to the art style in the same story same exact story don't change the story at all but draw it and design it in the more modern way that comics are done and maybe I would maybe I would enjoy it more. So I want to say something about that. Um, you you're because I actually went after reading this, I was so like I was so like, God, what did I just read that I was going through comicsology and I saw that the first issue of the latest Barbarella just came out and the art didn't enhance it <laughs> at all. Like, oh, who, yeah. who did the art? Do you know? Um, no, I can pull it up, but um, I'll OK. I don't know okay. who did the art. Yeah. Yeah, the art didn't really enhance it. Seeing it in color, seeing it in like new, like style, like digitals, like style, like it, it, it was. You had a better sense of place, kind of, because you had more, you had colors to work with. But 
it really didn't do much for like the actual concept. It didn't help that the story sucked too, but but um but that's outside of the point. <laughs> so for me, I think that the artist is good at the idea of the human figure, if not necessarily the human figure. You know, like I, I think he's good at suggesting yeah. uh suggesting what humans look like, but also like exaggerating in points. And agreed. It's not exactly cartooning, but it's also not exactly going for realism either. And I I found that cool. I like that yeah. from the art. And really his uh all of his designs for the sci-fi concept, even though I think we didn't see enough of them, I think they were varied enough and they all did the job. Agreed. I, I wanted to say that I didn't love a lot of it, but I did like the character designs. I, I thought that the character design was great. Um, I thought that the robots and the, and the, and the creatures, and I, I thought they did a really good job exaggerating and creating humanoid creatures and humans and stuff. I, I liked that a lot. Also, I mean, if we're talking about this book, we have to talk about the sexual nature of it. He, the artist did a really good job. Without the artist, this book would not have been successful. The artist did an amazing job being suggestive and just enough suggestion, just like um, balancing. Like, when are we going to show her whole body? When are we going to show like the side of her body suggesting something? When so, are we going to show a little bit of butt cheek? A little cheek? bit of butt cheek. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so if yeah, we're talking- How much are we going to show? Exactly. So the artist <laughs> did a really good job of doing of, of, of doing it in a way that built that sexual tension that I was talking about earlier. And also mm -hmm. the details. I mean- even though there's a lot of shit crammed into it, I think that has to do with paneling a lot. There wasn't a lot of space to work with. Um, the details of like the 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 world and 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 the pieces of clothing that people wear and 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 the fate people's faces. I thought that they did a really good job with those little details um, in a very specific way. Um, and I thought it was successful. I thought that it was very successful. Mm -hmm. This story would be nothing without the art. This story would be nothing yeah. without the art. Well, Jean Claude Forrest, he was an artist first and a storyteller second. Yeah, we can see. Yeah, that. you can tell. <laughs> that makes very much sense. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh well, I said at the beginning we didn't really talk about it. We don't have to, but um, yeah, he was originally a an illustrator for fantasy and sci-fi novels, uh, like the yeah. book covers. It, yeah, it feels like it. Yeah, it feels like it. Very it. much feels like it. Yeah. yeah, that's clearly the strong point of the the volume. So, all right, that about does it for the comic discussion. We're gonna take a little break, and then we'll be back for the movie. Everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And welcome back. Time for the movie discussion that we've all been waiting for. Barbarella, the 1960 <laughs> film directed by Roger Vadim, written by Terry Southern, Roger Vadim, Jean-Claude Forrest, and a whole bunch more people. There were eight people credited 
there were more uncredited. The movie was written and rewritten. <laughs> Sometimes Jane Fonda would take breaks. Uh, she would pretend to be sick so that they would have extra days to rewrite. And so this is what is this that is true? during shooting. Yeah, that was from an interview with Jane Fonda that I read. That's really cool, so, Jane Fonda. Like she she did them a solid. You go girl, and they yeah. still we'll, failed. We'll, they did her wrong. We'll talk more. <laughs> we'll talk more about all that. So Jane Fonda was Barbarella. Barbarella came out in October, October of 1968. So some backgrounds on the time period. It was the late 60s. It was very different time from when the comic came out. Uh, movies were finally escaping the confines of the production code. The summer of love had just occurred. The sexual revolution is now in full force. Baby. Just very different. <laughs> um, I read uh, or I heard something the other day. Someone was kind of joking, but also kind of serious, saying that uh, when people think of the 60s, they're really just thinking of 1967. <laughs> um, and I, I think it was funny and very true. And you can really see that difference in terms of the comic when it came out and the movie when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, 62 versus 68. To start, can we just talk about that opening scene? Uh, what is there to talk about? I, I saw that you put that on the notes and I was like, wait, what do you like mean it? there's what? No, oh my God, I loved it. It was so I, good. Yeah. I know, it was amazing. After the movie ended, I went back and rewatched that scene three more times alone. That opening scene was that opening scene was like set up so much disappointment for me. Like moving forward, it was, it was so goddamn good. I was like, "Oh uh-huh. my god, is this actually going to be amazing?" I think it yeah, is. I was like, "Is the, if this is the whole movie, I'm like, I am in love already." It's it was really good. It was so goddamn good. I can't get over that. And like the music and like how it like went with like the drop and when the guitar started coming in and then her her helmet slowly like revealed her face. Oh god, I, I like, love that. Fuck yeah, this is amazing. I love this shit. That that mm-hmm. specifically so when I when I started uh one thing, it's six minutes long, seven minutes long. And I got it's like five. I got two or I got two or three minutes in. I got two or three minutes in, and then I'm like, "Oh, I gotta open up a beer. I gotta, I gotta." I need- <laughs> Wait, dude. So you didn't like the opening scene? No, I loved it. But I'm like, I, okay. I know what I'm getting myself into. Now, how I- did you know? I, I, because I thought I was getting into the best experience of my life, and I was about? thoroughly disappointed. <laughs> I was, I was more enthralled on how they did some of the floating effects of the different. Well, hold on. Should we describe the opening scene? Because I don't think we have yet. Yeah. So Nick. So Barbarella, basically, she's in a swimsuit. She's floating no, she's in, in her, she's in her ship. Oh, I, I meant to say spacesuit. So yeah. she's she might as well have been in a swimsuit. But she's <laughs> yeah. she's in a spacesuit <laughs> and she is slowly undressing as this beautiful sixties like. How would you describe that music? It was Just like, the best. It was like <laughs> this really cool merge of like rock and like almost like string quartet kind of thing. It was cool. I don't know. I, I don't even know mm-hmm. the type. Like, I can't describe it, but it was like, it was basically like psychedelic rock right before it became yeah. super psychedelic. It was, it was a sum of love and space. Exactly. And Barbarella is like, slowly- It was a good mixture. It was a good mixture of pop and psychedelic and like strings and like guitar. Like it was a really good orchestration. The music of the future. So over this, Barbarella's floating in her spaceship in her spacesuit and slowly taking it off piece by piece, just- so smoothly and effortlessly and it was as she's taking off each piece of her suit letters are flying out of the suit and making the (laughs) opening credit titles everything about that just the perfect uh like the perfect merge of audio and visual this is this is film 
Yeah, it was <laughs> this really, really good. It was, I can't say it enough. Like, if you know what, I think all you have to do is watch that scene and that's all you need mm-hmm. to do to get what you need to get out of that movie because that was the best part. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's on YouTube. It's on Vimeo. It's everywhere. Just look yeah. up Barbarella opening credits. It's, it's, a, it's a special little piece of the past. It can't be replicated. It won't ever happen again. And it's also, yeah, the perfect time capsule of yeah. just that moment. I don't think that something exactly like that could ever be made again. Yeah, really, so, really good. As it goes on, uh, then the movie actually starts. She falls. Uh, she turns on the gravity inside her spaceship and just everything else in the movie falls with it. <laughs> so, Luke, let's start with you. Oh, Do you have overall thoughts on the movie? So when I was done with the movie, I wrote down in my little phone notebook this movie, fa- well, after four beers, this movie feels very much like the director went to the studio heads and were like, hey, this comic did really well, and there's boobs in it. We should make a movie out of this. And then the studio said, heads okayed it without doing any research. And then the director went to all of his creative artist friends who were smoking weed and doing various different kinds of drugs and listening to Emerson, Lake and Palmer and was like, hey... I have $8 million to make this shitty movie. Let's have some fucking fun. And then they made the movie. That sounds about right. Honestly, that's a good one. So if you guys <laughs> didn't know, first off, Jane Fonda and Roger Vadim were married at the time. Really? And Roger Vadim, yeah, he went yeah, to multiple yeah, different that. he went to multiple different actresses and they all kept turning it down. And then he brought it to his wife. He's like, wife, please do this. And she's like, hell no. And then he was like, do it. And she was like, okay. That's fucked up. That's fucked up. Yeah. uh, Everything that I could find online about them, it seemed like they had a very dysfunctional relationship with just big power dynamic problems. It's probably the dude because Jane Fonda is awesome. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was all him. Yeah. And (laughs) I think that you can see uh, you can see elements of that in the movie, unfortunately. Interesting. I'd love to hear what parts because I didn't feel that. I I only found out that they were married after and I didn't really think about that. A lot of the movie... Like, just the depiction of Barbarella and how she approaches sexuality. Like, I I liked the changes in the beginning where, like, she comes from this future world where just humans don't have sex the way that they do now. And, uh, like, sex and pleasure and physicality are all sort of very different things. Uh, But then her entire character's journey ended up being, like, the woman who... Uh, who sort of understands sex for the first time and like is open and becomes a freer individual. And on one hand, I like that as sort of a metaphor for the sexual revolution of the time, like coming from this really repressed time. And then all of a sudden you're able to like just be free in this way that you never could before. Um, But I think the movie sort of like what Andre was saying with the comic, uh, it's like, it's always a man saying like, you know what you can do for me? And a man saying, <laughs> I want to have sex with you. And she sort of leans back and she's like, okay, fine. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it, there was something very icky about all of the sex in this movie. Well, it, there was one man, there was one man who did not. The one, one true man in the whole movie. Uh, Dildano. Dildano. Well, he still wanted to have sex with her. Okay. And I want to say that um, I think that 
It's so funny. No, I just want to say, Nick, that I think it's very noble that you took such a nice, like, <laughs> uh, appreciative approach to what they did by accident. Like, they're, they in no <laughs> way were trying to create this metaphor for the I sexual don't know. revolution. No, I, no I, way. I, I, no I don't way. think they were. No. I don't think they tried. I think it happened because of, like, the era in which they were living, and that just sort of came out. But um, I do think it was a happy accident. No, you know what I think it was? I think that that was all done on purpose because the studio was like, okay, this is a sexy sex movie, okay? There's, like, a sexy girl. She's going to get naked a few times. But what is the only way in which we can get this to occur, but not too much, you know? Let's have one or two less extra sex scenes because we can't have that much nudity on screen. So then they created this obstacle of like hand sex, which is like weird and had no importance at all to the plot. And basically they avoided like two sex scenes. I think it was a total, like just they contrived just so they can avoid having a lot of nudity. Well, that, nudity than it that was actually added uh, in a later draft by one of the writers who ended up coming on later. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Terry Southern who did it. Holy shit. Then I don't even know what they were yeah. doing. <laughs> that, that makes sense. I, truly, because if you... Think about the structure of the movie, like the quarter way of a movie is always when the character enters like the new world fully. They resisted the call to action before that, but now they are crossing the threshold. That quarter mark of the movie is when she has sex with the really hairy dude for the first time. He was so hairy. Uh, I, I, (laughs) I was watching it with, with, uh, with my girlfriend and we both went, oh no. (laughs) Just like he takes off. Yeah. Well, for one, he's wearing a full like fur garment thing and then he takes it that was like his body yes and he takes it off and there's just more hair underneath the same (laughs) color and i was shocked it was horrifying and i've seen 80s movies where they had like super hairy bearded men (laughs) also i loved i loved how there was the like establishing shot of so they they had sex in a sailboat thingy that was gliding on the ice a and sailboat to sled. some awesome music. To amazing music. And it <laughs> the also, song is really good. The, the, the scene, song is great. Yeah, the scene lasted for way too long. But you see the, also, did you the notice sailboat how the cart just went in going in circles. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's like the guy was like, I'll take you where you need to go. And then he just like went in circles. Also, because he just, I'll take you where, to go, where you need to go. But she walked there. Yeah, it wasn't that far. <laughs> it really wasn't that far. You're so right. Like, what the fuck? That was so unnecessary. It reminded me. For some reason, looking at the set from the really wide angle that they used when they showed him going in circles, mm-hmm. uh, it reminded me of like Frosty the Snowman or like Rudolph, you know, when you have those establishing shots of oh, the yeah. like claymation sets and it's just yeah. this dinky little thing and you have some <laughs> like weird things that were like painted on. Yeah, that's exactly what it looked like to me. So, Andre, what do you think? The book did two things right. The story was whack, but they did two things right. It was sexy and it was funny, okay? And my take of the movie, it lacked both those things. And it didn't have a good story to make up for that. So I felt like I was watching Scooby-Doo. And uh, (laughs) it was like Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? uh, Mixed with some weird, like, trying to be sexy thing. And it was just, it failed in every regard. (laughs) Thank you for clarifying which (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Yeah, yeah, it's important. It it wasn't What's New Scooby-Doo. It definitely wasn't, it was not Mystery Incorporated. It was not What's New Scooby-Doo. So it it was Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? I had that vibe watching it. It was bizarre and weird. And I, I honestly, I was surprised that I could be more disappointed after reading the book. Like, I read the book and was thoroughly disappointed. And then I watched the movie and it had that amazing opening scene. And I was like, that was goddamn beautiful. I'm so excited for the best movie of my life. And then it proceeded to be like 
far worse than the book could ever imagine to try to be. I don't I don't so, understand mm-hmm. how you saw that opening scene and expected it to be good. I I knew exactly what I was going into when I saw it. Oh, no, I was like, if, yeah, if the rest of the movie is cinematography and just use of camera with music and just the way that it like the camera like panned over her body in those ways, it was so beautiful. I, I loved all of that. Yeah. And I, I thought that there was a chance that the rest of the movie would be filmed like that. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, it was it was even regardless of what you think about it, it was definitely well made as opposed to everything else, which looked like a tacky C movie, like a crappy budget movie with an amazing um, lead by accident, by force. Now that we know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it wasn't exactly by force. I know. I know. know. She she didn't want to do it at first. Yeah. Did you guys find the movie funny? Did the satire land for you? No. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely fucking not. 100 percent. It wasn't. It wasn't even satire, dude. Like, look, the book was really funny because it was cheeky and it was very like innuendo based. The movie was just wacky and it wasn't even it wasn't even good slapstick. You know, it was it, there was nothing there's there was very little innuendo. The, the, there were some moments that were actually funny. Like I actually thought the scene where she's talking to the the guy for the first time that tells her to go find Duran Duran where she's naked. And then she's like, let me put something on. And he's like, no, 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 no time for that. <laughs> I thought that that was actually pretty funny. Um, and I watched mm-hmm. that again and I thought that was funny for sure because I laughed again. But outside of that, like, no, there was nothing good. The only other scene that I laughed was when he put her in that orgasm machine, that sex machine. And I was like the orgasmatron. And um, basically she break when she starts breaking the machine, I'm like, oh, my God, this is so goddamn stupid. That's the only other moment where I remember laughing out loud. But I laughed there not because it was funny, but because of how fucking dumb it was. Like it was totally predictable and not interesting at all and pointless. There were a few laugh out loud moments for me, but yeah, for the most part, I just watched it straight faced and I was like, come on, like get to the point. Wow. Yeah, really. I laughed so much. I have so many of my, but in a bad way. No, in in a a bad way. In, in a, in a, like I said, I knew exactly what I was going into when I started. So I was like, okay, I'm going to not pay attention to anything. I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to open up another beer. Like. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even a good time for me. It was it was actually like painful to watch. I did, and this isn't this isn't satire, but I really liked the uh, I liked Dildano's character in this movie. He you really didn't think that uh, that scene was funny in the secret base. No, so I was skipping a long <laughs> yeah. time. But like, oh, that, oh, was that, that, that was that was a funny hilarious. scene when the guy lands when the guy lands on the tubes and he just watches him have hand sex. No, that no. scene. Well, that entire the, whole, the entire underground whole, thing, that whole setting. Everything about Dildano. He he was so funny. He he reminded me of a Mel Brooks character. The, the secret key, the secret door, the secret secret pills, secret Barbarella. Yeah, that whole scene was really good. I yeah, that was to a me, good scene, he had right. he had some really dry humor. He was like the bumbling revolutionary and yeah, he just he, I think he brought things. so much to the character that he didn't have in the book. I agree. Dildano was totally hilarious. Like that scene was funny, but that was like by like one by one one's good scene which makes it seem like it was an accident almost again and just like how how like pygar isn't able to fly because he's lost the will to fly and then barbarella oh, so barbarella has it is dumb because it's supposed I, I to be dumb and then barbarella has sex with him and now like he regains the will to fly he regains the will <laughs> to fly stupid. but also if you if you <laughs> think about it the way that it was like shot she just like wakes up all of a sudden and he's in the air mm-hmm. so 
Yeah, you have to question like, like what happened, and then you find out. Yeah, yeah, that no, was cool. I I was thinking about it like he was just like inside her, and then he just flew up, and then she was like, "Wait, you're flying! Oh my god!" I, I don't I don't like that. You know why? Like I don't like any of, of none of the sex scenes in this movie were were good because all of them were about like all of them had no real relevance to anything. Like it. it in the book, it had no relevance, but they were the point. And yeah. that's what it all led up to, right? Whereas in the movie, it was just like random. And it was almost like, oh, look, she's hot. She's had sex. Ha She's having mm-hmm. sex now. She's awakening. Now she wants to have sex without hands. Now she wants to do it the old way. Oh, this guy wants to do it the new way. That's funny because this girl wants to do it the old way. Like, I, I thought it was so contrived. I thought it was so like, I don't know. I thought it was weak as fuck. Yeah. Man. I, if anything, the movie was sort of structured around when she would be able to change her clothes next so that she could have a new fancy outfit. Yeah, but yeah. the thing is, in the book, that worked because, but it wasn't structured around that. It was structured around when she would get sexy, when it would get sexy, right? But in the movie, it never got sexy. Like Jane Fonda, she's, she's beautiful. I'm trying, I'm not saying that about her. I'm saying like the way that they built the story wasn't around the sexual tension. In the book, the narrative was very much structured, building sexual tension for you to like have that moment of like, oh, there you go. There's the hot stuff. Whereas in the movie, it was just like, oh, she's hot. Ha ha. And they tried to do what the book did, but they failed miserably because there was no sexual tension at all. And no point did you feel like the sexual, like the sexual, uh, 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 like these, you didn't feel a uh, suggestive things. It was all wacky. You know, it, it was almost like every time she had sex, it was like, it was comedy almost like, Oh, haha, sex. She's hot. You know, let's talk about Dr. Ping and Pygar since we just talked a little about Vildano. Uh, what do you guys think that those actors brought to those characters? Because for me, well, first off, I just want to say, uh, Dr. Ping was played by Marcel Marceau. Do you guys know who that is? No, I have no uh, idea. He's one of the most famous mimes in the world. <laughs> no way. Yeah. And they gave him a speaking role. This was his first ever speaking role. Um, he he had a cool vibe. He had like a Marty, like a doc, doc from Back to the Future vibe. But like knowing yeah. that he's the greatest mime in the world, like why did they not utilize that? What the hell? Yeah. Why wasn't yeah. he like the robot or something like that? Yeah. Like, Thoroughly yeah. disappointing. This movie was bad in every way. Every way. <laughs> um, I loved Pygar. I loved, I love, yeah, I love when I love, I, I, like not like I loved him. Like I'm going to have his name tattooed on my body. Like I loved it. Uh-huh. I loved him because it was so ridiculous. Like he does barrel rolls yeah. while Jane Fonda has a bazooka <laughs> and is shooting at ships. <laughs> that was <laughs> but so there's bad. No, there's no like, you know, energy bolts that show that it hits all of a sudden there's just like a little fire in the next shot and then it explodes. I loved it. I loved it. I think this movie w- was trying to be comedic. I but it think wasn't funny. it just ended up being funny in the wrong ways. Yes. And it wasn't funny when it wanted to be. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that. It, there were so many moments where it almost felt awkward. Like there were like forced jokes that like were like, I, I, and there was like silence following that. I, like, I was like, wait, was that like supposed to be funny or something? Like I felt awkward moments in silence um, that was totally meant to be like for us to laugh. You know, like there was, it was not. It was not executed in the way they intended to. Also, I want to say, you mentioned Pygar. I love the fucking scene. When, I don't love it. I, I hate it. But it was like, <laughs> I couldn't believe that they did it. That like 20 minute long take of Pygar flying with the green screen behind him and, and, and yeah. then her shooting people. Yeah. Like, it was like, great. I watched it twice. I know special effects weren't great back then. But like, I do know that that was bad. That was really shitty. That did looked you, like some. Did you, did you like uh, how his head moved with his wing? And like, I don't think that's a thing with birds. 
I think he just did no, it. No, I don't. I, I didn't notice that. All I kept thinking well, was, why are bird. they He was an angel. <laughs> All I could think is, why were they showing like a 20 minute long take? They weren't even like any cl- cuts for close ups or anything. I it's thought that that was so shot. weird. Like it's it was such a long, shot, unnecessary Andre. thing. They got to have the action, sci-fi action comedy. <laughs> That's the <laughs> action. So I want to talk about the special effects. But first off, I want to talk about um, Pygar, uh, like my own thoughts on him. Um, not only was he just like the perfectly sculpted man that he was supposed to be as like this fallen angel, mm. but I feel like the actor really brought this otherworldliness to the character. I think he truly felt like he was on a different plane. Yeah. <laughs> and he wasn't it, part of it. <laughs> this is going to sound kind of offensive. Part of it, maybe because he was blind. But also, like, it wasn't just that he, no, no, like, the character was blind. So, like, he wasn't looking characters in the the eyes when he was talking to them. Yeah. But he still, he had this other way of, like, just existing in the world that was so different from every character around him. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. but that was weird. It came off weird. It didn't, like, wasn't. Oh, I loved it. It was so weird. The movie, were like, the tones were everywhere. Like, like, I, I, I felt that, too, but it just felt like it didn't fit. That's what it felt like. I mean, the the movie definitely has a cohesion problem in general. <laughs> like nothing goes with anything. So that didn't help. Even if it, like it might have been cool, it might have worked out if they had done everything else right. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But okay, so special effects. Um, Two thousand one Space Odyssey. Same year. We said before came out in the same year, and so I just want to reiterate what I said before. 2001 A Space Odyssey changed the game for sci-fi fiction. And I think when you watch this movie, everything pre-2001 looked like this movie. Mm-hmm. I, Every yeah. sci-fi movie looked like this. And that just is mind-blowing because everything after looks like 2001. It's funny because you you could see like Space Odyssey, um, I mean, 2001 Space Odyssey and Barbarella like came out the same year. It's like a crossroads. It's like, where will reality go towards? Like, And it's like in a, in a, in a really bad alternate universe, it went Barbarella's route <laughs> and then 2001 fell into the, the the outskirts and to be this like obscure shit, you know? But thank God we're in the, the reality where that didn't happen. I, I loved how the- <laughs> That's all I got to say. I loved how the walls of the spaceship were shag. Oh, I did like that. Yeah. I thought that, that was funny, a funny thing. Because you don't really see spaceships like that. I was like, oh, I, I dig this. This is unique. I mean, that was part of the, like, uh, I mean, looking feel. at it today, it has a camp yes. uh, yeah. appeal. And yeah, like the sets are a big part of that. Like Scooby-Doo. But <laughs> part of the camp is the fact that it has that, like, mod era design sense. Like mm-hmm. the shag in the spaceship. And the that painting of all the people, like, the Victorian people in the sun with the umbrellas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know the name of like, that. Like, why painting, is that there? The fact that that was in her ship, that was funny. But, um, yeah, it's, it's funny to me because like retro futurism, uh, of the fifties, it was like, this is what people thought the future would look like, but it really wasn't. It was just, those were the designs that people thought were cool in the fifties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is the same thing. It's like, they're taking sixties style and they're just applying it onto this, fantasy sci-fi and, and you thing it's like it's not what they thought the future was going to look like yeah and you don't really see that often like when it comes to right re- when you when you, when you t- look um when you think about um retro things like trying to be futuristic um you don't really think about like late 60s 
retro futurism. So you don't really think about the shag spaceship or like groovy spacesuits. Like you just think about the fifties. Like, I feel like they have a monopoly when you think about what did people think the future <laughs> would look like? Like you think about the fifties and the way they thought like the um, Jetsons and shit. I know the Jetsons is like Tomorrowland. Yeah. Yeah. Tomorrowland. But like, I've never seen an, like a spaceship with shag in it. So I thought that that was an interesting <laughs> element. Like I was like, Oh, that's new, you know, but speaking of special yeah. effects, that's like, come on, they could have done that stupid like space, like the spaceship um, windshield a little bit better, don't you think? Like that was a horrible <laughs> Oh, I had no idea what was going on yeah, for was bad. the yeah, whole. I mean, they could have played with the camera. I, I think the directing was just in general bad. Like they could have Actually, played with the camera they, to make it better. They created a uh, a new form of projection. I thought it was projection. So that they could be able to do uh, certain special effects scenes. Like, I've read something about it. I didn't really understand it, but basically they projected it at the same angle as what the camera was looking at. And like, they couldn't actually see what it would look like until after they had filmed everything. Really? I have no idea how it worked. But it seemed like they were more focused on that being a technological advancement that they forgot to make the camera work Mm -hmm. with it. You Mm -hmm. know, it just was like stationary shots of like the ship crashing. And it's like, well, it didn't feel like the ship was crashing. It felt like she was on a set watching a projection, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that that was really badly executed. But speaking of projections, I did one thing I thought was amazing. Special effects was bad. I don't think that we can give them too much shit because it wasn't like it was super good back then. Um, um, kudos just to to Kubrick, of course, for making it good back then. But I think that that scene where she's in the dream chamber with the projections, that was so good. Yeah, that was like amazing. Mm-hmm. Like that was genuinely yeah, like yeah. I was, was like wow. Yeah. It, it was like the opening scene. Like, this doesn't seem like it belongs here, you know? It was really good. So I want to talk about the pill sex. Um oh, God. So mm. when we finally got that scene, it was part of the scene uh, where she meets Dildano. And the way that he approaches it was kind of odd to me because she says like, oh, yeah, I'll have sex with you. And he's like, no, but I want to do it your way. Like, as in take the pill put our hands together and then sex happens. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. oh. So that scene, I thought the scene itself was funny. Uh, and it was like such a body joke. It almost seemed out of place because it went so far with it. Yeah. Um, but I still found it funny. However, the, the fact that she like, she was reluctant and she was like, eh, I don't really want to. And then eventually she's like, fine, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Like That's exactly that, that the felt problem. really uncomfortable and progressive. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, 100%. This movie was, and it's like Andre was saying earlier, that's just a problem with the sexual revolution of this time. Like it's always on the man's terms. It's always, what will this woman do to please this man? Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think it's also can I just talk about Barbarella and how the character changed in the movie because I think that's a huge part of it of of, of uh, it's a huge part of where it fell flat like in the book we talked about how her agency had limitations like it was her agency but always like envisioned by like a man but like in the movie she had no agency at all she was a damsel in distress meandering around this universe that she would just like walk into and then hopefully somebody would save her and then she would like would force her to have sex with them you know mm-hmm. so yeah the character itself was it's not even like the sex was weird. That scene with the hands that you were talking about was really awkward and painful and long too. And way too which, long. Which was weird <laughs> considering- that was, that was what made it funny to me. Yeah, which was weird considering that that scene was one of the funniest scenes in the movie. But um, but the actual character herself, like she always would be in those predicaments where she was like, oh, please save me. I don't know what to do. All right, I'll have sex with you. You know, like, and, <laughs> and that made the character so lame 
not interesting at all in any way. It's like they took this amazing talent who could have made the part amazing, right? If she had been given a better script. And she also really worked for Barbarella, I think. And instead they they went like to the lowest possible denominator and they went even lower than that. So um, it was really frustrating to see that. I couldn't enjoy the movie knowing that it's like, this is some stupid person just walking around the universe being like, oops, you know, like as opposed to at least in the book, you know, it, for all its faults, Barbarella is like, I'm going to go to the next planet because I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to hitch a ride with this pilot because I want to have sex with the pilot, you know, as opposed to, as opposed to the movie where she's like, oh, I guess I'm in this spaceship now. You, uh, you know, you, you didn't like when she put the gun in Pygar's pants and then she pulled it out to get him to get uncrucified. By the way, wait, there's a crucifixion in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really. I didn't really care for that. Like, I didn't. It didn't really. It wasn't funny. It wasn't like she. She had one moment where she. It, it, to me, it was like one moment that she had some sort of agency. But other than that, I just felt like it was weak. You know, uh-huh. mm-hmm. till the very end. This movie, people appreciate it more and more as this kitschy thing, like a midnight showing that you would see with like just a bunch of friends and just laugh together. Yeah, I, I, you know. I like shit watching. I I yeah. 100% see this being played at like a Halloween party where you're all dressed yeah. up bad or at like a shitty bar in Brooklyn that has been open for like 50 years and they have like a they have a TV like on in the corner of the bar that plays some bad movie every night and they mm-hmm. just have like 100 D, uh VHSs from like the old owner, you know, that they just I love, like I love your play example. to honor him because I've been to one of my favorite bars does exactly that. They just play bad movies. I was and, thinking I was thinking one hat level ahead. I was thinking like what if I a, like a Brooklyn bar taking this movie and projecting it on the wall with like these cool RT things on it. Like I feel like that's more the vibe oh, of this movie. Oh, it's definitely it's definitely <laughs> happened. There's definitely been a showing in Bushwick with a live synth track to it. Definitely. Oh yeah. Definitely. That sounds about right. Hey, there's a place for everything, right? Yeah. Even the worst garbage you can Brooklyn. imagine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so bringing it back, I think the last thing that we have to talk about is the cinematography. We sort of touched on it, but I know that Andre has some thoughts on uh, what he didn't like about it. I, I thought that the cinematography was awesome um, in terms of uh, the way that you know what it feels like, dude? It feels like they had this really talented cinematographer and the director was like, no, 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 no. I want a medium shot. You know, like, forget forget that. Like, I, I want a medium shot, you know? Mm-hmm. I want this. And then the guy's like, mm-hmm. all right, you know? So it's like, because there were moments of brilliance during the movie that I was like, damn, that was really good. Like, they shot through, like, the tubes and it was, like, it was really nice because it made you feel like you were, like, distant, like, Barbarella felt distant. And then there was the, the opening scene. One- the opening scene was a great example, of course. Um, they have there's another scene when she wakes up in the in the beginning of the movie where they use they they like move the camera like basically tracks left, and as the camera's tracking left, it's going through this piece of curvy glass, and the curvy glass is accentuating Barbarella's body, and it was super sexual, super cool, and and the scene was really successful. Like that, I mean, that shot was really successful. So like they had moments of brilliance where I was like, damn, that was really creative, that was unique. But then there would just constantly be just like the ball being dropped at certain points. And there were no mm-hmm. close-ups, like I said before, like that scene where Pygar was flying her into the the city of the witch or mm-hmm. the, the the black queen or whatever. No close-ups, yeah. nothing interesting. Like the spaceship flying shots, like the camera's stationary. Like it's almost like 
I'm telling you, like it, it almost seemed like someone who's really talented was behind the camera and then some douchebag that was in charge of everything was like, no, no, no. Let's do it my way because I'm the artist. You this know? is my vision. I'm the auteur. <laughs> yeah, this is my yeah. project. That, that, and I'm pretty sure that is exactly what happened. <laughs> Everything really? that I've read online from people who were involved in this movie, that's what it seemed like. Like I said before, Jane Fonda would pretend to be sick so that they would have time to rewrite things because the director uh, just insisted on things being this weird, bad it's a, way. It's mind-blowing. It's amazing how it shows. I think it's amazing how uh, uh, someone's um, inability to uh, uh, have a clear vision and also ego can come through through the work of others even. And it's like, you can't hide behind that. When you create like work and, and especially film, that's a collaborative art form. When you falter in very important aspects of your, of your if, when you falter, you, because of your ego or because of your inability of ha to have a clear vision, you um, it shows no matter how much you try to hide it. And I think it's really cool. Like mm -hmm. you have a really talented cinematographer trying to do his thing and you can tell that the guy was just a jerk. And and I think it's clear. And Jean-Claude Forrest was also uh, heavily involved in the production of the movie. Um, and even then, his it seemed online from his interviews that he was like really interested he was very personally uh involved but it seemed like at the end of the day he just had to be like okay whatever roger wants i guess yeah like yeah uh, clearly clearly the shots that they're using aren't the ones that i would pick but it's not my movie yeah my, that that yeah. that sounds and feels like what i've watched yeah i i think that my favorite shot honestly was the uh when pygar is revealed to be crucified just like what they did with the like in the shot before all of a sudden there was like raining what looked like water but maybe it was supposed to be a force field or something like that and i was just like mm -hmm. why the fuck is this water behind barbarella what the <laughs> fuck is this and then in the next shot they like like pan out and then like the rain goes away and the light shines onto him and he's just gigantic crucified like like jesus in a church and i was just yeah. like oh my yeah. and like the, i i could i have to say the lighting was really great in like a lot of the shots every it even though the set de design might have been you know weird and very studio and stuff like that and not not have a life to it there was it it never made you feel like it was like a student film i don't know yeah mm -hmm. true like, it never it, felt like trash it, it felt, never like, felt like i was watching yeah. trash it felt like the people knew what they were doing but yeah like andre said they were not allowed to so final thoughts comic or movie luke movie movie it's with funny luke you liked both of them movie with a lot of alcohol yeah. <laughs> andre <laughs> It's a good movie to like be like every time you say Duran Duran, take a shot. You yes. Know? Yeah. <laughs> By the end of the movie, you're in the hospital. They both were bad, and I both really didn't like both of them. <laughs> so it's kind of a hard pick, you know, because it's usually every episode I feel like I like one and I don't like the other. Whereas in this episode, I just didn't like either of them. I see what they did well and what they did bad, and in the case of the movie, I just see everything they tried to do well, but mostly failed. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, uh, I can't say the movie i mean i would pick the movie only if like that opening scene was like two hours long you know like mm -hmm. that 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 would have been the movie for me but no book fuck that movie but i love jane fonda yeah go jane fonda i wish that the entire movie was like that opening scene 
But even so, I picked the movie over the book. I had really? definitely see myself rewatching the movie at some point, just in the right circumstances. But I wow. never started reading the well, book. Wow, you're that's unexpected. I was honestly expecting you to yeah. say the the book. Yeah, I think this is the first time that I chose the movie over the book. Well, okay, I have a question for you. Do you, 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 what you're talking about what you would do, but like if you had to say which one was done better, like what I, I picked the book because I think that the book had a mission and it achieved that mission. And the movie, it had a mission and it failed that mission. So that's why I say I picked the move, the, the book over the movie. But if I had to consume well, any of this, I would pick the movie. Of, yeah, in terms of enjoyment, which one did you enjoy more? I hated both of them. I I just, you know, (laughs) I I clearly like the movie way more. I had so much more fun with it than the book. Okay. Yeah. I didn't like either. So I picked the book. So I've got two closing quotes here. Uh, One of them is on the book and one of them is on the movie. So the one from the book is from, uh, it was actually on Jean-Claude Forrest's website and it was said by, uh, or written by Jean-Marc and Randy Lofissier. They're just like comic book Uh, historians and they write about comic books. Barbarella was the first female hero to enter French comics since World War II and the country's first science fiction character. Her liberated attitude gave her a fragile yet invincible aura. She became the incarnation of 60s budding eroticism, as did Bridget Bardot in the movies. So the uh, movie quote was from a 1968 New York Times review written by Renata Adler. Women have been treated very strangely in movies lately. Maybe it is an anti-mummy reflex, no good, decent women on the screen. It is as though the medium, particularly in mechanistic science fiction and pseudo-boffo bachelor comedy, has grown to hate them. Interesting. Yeah, I think those two quotes really sum up both of our, uh, not both of our, but our thoughts on both the comic and movie. Mm -hmm. Like the, the comic was really, it was going for something and it went there and it was part of the zeitgeist. And then the movie arrived like sort of after it just sort of fell down like a limp fish or like Barbarella landing on her shag carpet after turning on the artificial gravity. So thank you for listening. And next month, we're going to be doing A Silent Voice, volumes one through seven. That's the entire series. Uh, it's a manga by Yoshitoki Oima. And we're going to do the A Silent Voice uh, movie that was directed by Naoko Yamada. So once again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next month. Stay sexy, stay 60s, and stay sci-fi. Hell yeah. Oh yeah.